Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Joe Lynch, and today's topic is Amazon's retail strategy with my friend, Rick Watson. How's it going, Rick? I'm doing great, Joe. Glad to be back on. Thank you so much. Guys, I'm going to say this a few times during the podcast. Rick is the very best follow for anyone who wants to know about e-commerce. And I was teasing him. It's not about starting your own e-commerce thing where you're doing, you know, selling bracelets online. No, he works with some of the biggest companies in the world, and he's worked for some of the biggest companies in the world, helping them with their e-commerce strategy. And and he is one of the best follows on LinkedIn. He's always got, I swear to God, it's, it's like he's a machine. He's always putting out a whole <laughs> bunch of really good status updates on LinkedIn. So if you're not already following him, if you're not already connected, please do so. Anyway, Rick, please introduce yourself and your company. Yeah. My name is Rick Watson. I, I live in New York City and I own and founded a boutique e-commerce consultancy called RMW Commerce. And the problem I solve is a lot of people were trying to take advantage of digital transformation and the shift to direct consumer e-commerce and learning about the customer and don't know how. A lot of times it's because their staff are unfamiliar with it. And so I help businesses assess where they are and then build a plan for what to do next and why. And then, you know, as a engagement progresses, and then you can help them build capabilities, you know, like shipping eaches instead of pallets, you know, in, in, in your world, but across all parts of e-commerce as well. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, when you said assessing where you're at. So there is old school distributor and uh, old schools are wrong way, traditional distributor to traditional retailers. And, um, they've done well, smart people. Mm -hmm. That's a tough business to survive. And, but then when somebody says, Hey, now we got to go direct to consumer. We have to, you know, have an e-commerce offering. You go, God, you look around at your team and go, I don't see anyone on my team who does that. It's like, I liken it to, uh, you recruited a football team and now somebody says we're going to run track. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and yeah, that's the same problem. Skills. It's the same thing we have in transportation logistics. You might have run a warehouse for 50 years and have multiple locations and be very efficient and effective. And then when somebody says, yeah, I'd like to, you know, do some fulfillment for me, e-commerce, you go, well, we've just never done it. That's, that's not that you can't do it. It's just, it's going to take some uh, time to make that transition. Right. No, definitely. So. Anyway, before we get into the topic today, which is Amazon's retail strategy, tell us a little bit about you. What, what was your background? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And then uh, just give us a few career highlights before you started RMW Commerce. Yeah. So I grew up in New Orleans, which is recovering from a hurricane right now. So my heart goes out to my family and friends back there that are the power starting to come back on there. So they're they're coming back. I went to Vanderbilt University, studied electrical engineering, was Very involved nice. in, in, in robotics and AI early on, and got into e-commerce through a software company called Channel Advisor, which was involved in helping retailers sell on eBay and Amazon, kind of in the early days of e-commerce. And kind of from pioneer, there, right? yeah, definitely a pioneer in the space. And really one of the founders, he had the vision that businesses would make a living selling on eBay. 
And in in 99 or 98, that was a radical idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, the crazy story he he tells Scott Wingo is that we, we were we built free software to help hobbyists put items on eBay and an executive from Sun Microsystems f signed up and sold $50,000 worth of servers in a, in a month and used overstock servers. And I think Scott's entrepreneurial mind went like, whoa, this is going to be a big thing. Right. And I think he probably hasn't been more right about anything. <laughs> so. Right. That was a pretty big call. It's funny. I tell people when you used to buy on Amazon, I remember buying on Amazon where the 1-800 number was at the top. And because they were so concerned that people wouldn't feel comfortable if they couldn't make a phone call to them. And then for a long time, they took their phone number off. Now, if you have a problem with Amazon, you can go online and they will say, do you want us to call you? And they'll call you pretty quickly. Exactly. It's, like, it's, a, it's like full Faster circle. than the airlines anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody will call. I mean, not to be too critical, but yeah, they're pretty slow. Take a day. So where'd you go from Channel Advisor? Yeah, so from Channel Advisor, I actually joined a, a, a retailer, an online retailer. I worked at barnesandnoble.com in New York City, and I helped them start and operate their their first third-party marketplace in non-book categories. So that that was fun seeing technology and innovation inside of a bigger a retailer. And then kind of as I went along, I got involved in supply chain at Pitney Bowes. They were pivoting from their traditional mailing business, which everyone knows them for, the old, you know, mailing and stamp right. printing and the franking machines to e-commerce because it was it was the most natural move for them and they had acquired a cross-border business called Border Free, which helped US retailers and brands sell internationally. So was was that the last place you worked before you started R RMW? That's right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what when you started RMW, what hole did you see in the market? Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, it was really the confluence of a couple of different factors. I saw number one is just my background in e-commerce and saw that I had a lot to offer. But the fact is, e-commerce is still on a tear. You know, there's no signs of slow, right. growing slowing down. If if anything, it's accelerating, and it's so hard to hire good people right. with digital talent. And what I saw in company after company is, and I didn't necessarily know all this when I was started, but as I talked to more and more people, it became more obvious that the companies that weren't taking advantage of digital commerce had one of two problems. One is that they didn't have the talent to do it, kind of to your earlier point, they've never done it before, or they didn't have the vision to do it. Right. And so what could this vision business be in three to five years? And what are the steps I need to take so that I can do it in the most capital efficient way rather right. than wasting a lot of time? Yeah. And I should point out, Rick, you are way too humble because I've looked at your LinkedIn profile. You didn't have like little jobs over at these companies. You had top <laughs> jobs. You're a lot closer to the top than the, the bottom at all these companies. So, so, I mean, I guess my point to saying that is you have a strategic vision of what these companies... So, that was something you've done in the past. And so you've, you've done this. <laughs> you said, I look, I've lived through that, that murderous task of moving a business to have a DTC or direct to consumer mm -hmm. <laughs> service offering. And that's not easy. You know, it's interesting. I, you mentioned Barnes and Noble. So it was a big deal when Barnes and Noble came to the Detroit area because we had borders here. And Borders was like based in Ann Arbor. And, and I was just in Ann Arbor. Borders is long gone. 
And then you look, I go to Barnes and Noble and I drive by and I go, yeah, eh, you know, maybe I'll go in, maybe I don't. But it's a, it's a weird thing after you've listened to books and read books on Kindle. Do you even want to go to Barnes and Noble now? I mean, and, and I'm sure it's a great company. Don't get me wrong. Wandering around bookstores is always going to be great on a Sunday afternoon when you got nothing to do. But as far as getting what I want, I don't ever feel these bookstores like I used to. I know it's 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 amazing. It, it's pretty powerful to be able to say like, oh, I heard about this new book, and then thirty six thirty seconds later, it's on it's on your Kindle. Right. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I joke, I, <laughs> I've joked I've joked about this before. Is that Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all those companies? They said we will we will get rid of that that bookstore experience, and you can buy stuff online. I was like. Why don't you take away like the trip to Home Depot for me? That's what I want gone. <laughs> right? right. I, did, I didn't. Want, I didn't want you to take this away. But anyway, so today's topic is Amazon's retail strategy. So originally we were just going to talk about Amazon's department stores or Amazon's you know, new foray. But since it got Rick Watson, I thought we would get all the things that Amazon's doing. So. Why don't you give us an overview of what you've seen so far from Amazon, and then we'll we'll dig into a little bit of their their latest venture into retail. Yeah, I mean, a- Amazon historically has dipped its toe in the water in in stores. Obviously, the biggest and most well known move has been their acquisition of Whole Foods, which with its 500 stores into the grocery market. Less well known is Amazon's bookstores, which there aren't, you know, a ton of those. Amazon's four-star stores, which is, you know, the those definition are on the coast, of irony. I think. Yeah. yeah, the definition of irony is Amazon starting a physical bookstore. But they're starting it with data-driven. So they say these books sell like crazy, so we know to put these on the shelf. And I think that's the way all their stores are set up so far. I don't know, yeah. not Whole Foods. Yeah. But their bookstore, they're pretty sure people are going to buy those books. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and as you said, they're not... They're not doing what Barnes and Noble did, trying to put one in every community in America. I think they're putting it in high traffic areas and like a small format stores. I could see one in New York City. I can see it in San Francisco, yeah. L.A., Chicago. I don't know that they'll get one to my little small town. You know, <laughs> maybe Ann Arbor at some point. <laughs> yeah, it, it's coming to you soon. So Amazon has its four star stores, and I think you what, know, what most... is that? I never even heard of that. Yeah, I mean they they started these really random stores that they called four star stores basically it was a concept and i don't even know how many they 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 built i think it's in the tens or dozens where it's only products that are rated four star and above on amazon which is uh, kind of funny to think about when if you if i see a four star product on amazon i think it's terrible don't i mean don't you, want you? The five star? yeah like who, who who wants a four-star product on amazon well you can only search by when you go on amazon <laughs> they don't let you search by five star because it's hard to keep that five star so i think they say four stars and above right yeah so i think if you're 4.5 4.8 that that's pretty good but yeah exactly so they opened up these and and what was the purpose? So and what was the purpose of Whole Foods? What was the strategy? And has it worked? It's so it's so interesting. Whole Foods. If you if you listen to Jeff Wilkie, who was involved in the acquisition, it's like, why did you buy Whole Foods? The answer he gave was, I thought, was pretty astonishing. The first words out of his mouth was, "We want more benefits for Prime members," which is completely the opposite answer <laughs> that you think they would give. Because you're like, what does that even mean? And like, how <laughs> the the next level of strategy that these people are thinking at, you know, you have what 150, 200 million Prime members in the U.S. 
and you want excuses for people to keep coming back to Amazon, then that matches their day-to-day life. And so the power of that data and that relationship is so important to the business. Yeah, like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Amazon Prime person, I guess. And I guess I get the free shipping here and there. And uh, I don't go to Whole Foods very much. I just told you once or twice a year because it's not close to my house. But I watch, I guess, Amazon Prime TV. I can't think of other benefits I get from that Prime membership. Right. Right. What I'm always wondering is when does it come out of my account? Because I always forget, and then when, <laughs> one day I wake up and be out of my bank account. But exactly. So, so has that strategy worked for them? Are they? Are they? Would you say they're successful and happy with what they've done with Whole Foods so far? You know, I, I think Whole Foods is a little bit of a mixed bag. If, if you look at the people who loved Whole Foods before Amazon bought it, what they miss is that the little bit of a higher end experience. And I think the openness and the cleanliness of the stores and the and the the freshness and the variety of the unique merchandise. And I think a lot of people report that shopping in Amazon Whole Foods stores physically now is not a great, not as great of experience because you have all these, you know, what I call robot shoppers in there now, you know, that are just filling orders for digital, right? Right. It it it, it is interesting. It's it's kind of like not too long ago somebody was talking about Burt's Bees, the the chapstick. Mm-hmm. And they said I think Clorox bought them. I was like, what? What? I was like, I thought like Bert and his friends made this like in some little village right. out east, kind of when they weren't sailing, and right. <laughs> like, and and when you hear that, or Ben and Jerry's owned by what, Unilever or Procter, I think the right. Unilever, yeah, yeah. And then I think that some people immediately don't like the idea that our crunchy, chewy, kind of yeah. hippie-ish place became Amazon. So yeah, these CPG companies are interesting. And that they they swallow up these little brands that consumers like, and most consumers don't know it. But then when they find out, they're like, "Oh, you know, yeah, I did notice Burt's Bees <laughs> wasn't the same. I think, right. I think but they, I guarantee they they did not mess with it. It was a great formula. So when they bought they bought Whole Foods, and they and a lot of that's now kind of the is that Hello? That's not Hello Fresh. They have Amazon Fresh though, right? Yeah. So they is they started about yeah exactly. So Amazon has started its own grocery store concept independently of Whole Foods. You know, Whole Foods has always been a little bit more upper. Upscale, yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit more upscale. Amazon Fresh, I think it's meant to be a little bit more mainstream. You know, they have 11 Amazon Fresh stores now. And the, the data I've seen, I just checked it this morning, actually, there is about 28 new Amazon Fresh stores that are planned. I mean, compared to 3,500 Walmart super centers, I mean, it's, what, right. what does that mean? It, it means it's still an experiment. You know, they're you know, dipping their toe know, in me. to see if they can if they can make this work. And they're exactly. seeing, as you said, if they're experimenting. They're such a big company. Their experiments twenty eight stores or fifty stores. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, it's amazing. So they have Whole Foods. That's their biggest foray so far. And then they've got this four star. And I think those are on the coast because I've never seen any of those around here. And then there's what do you call it? Amazon Fresh. Yeah, Amazon Fresh is is their grocery concept that's more mainstream, and and now that you know, as as we were discussing, there's you know the big news is that they're starting to acquire leases to open a, de- a department store chain, which is super yeah, interesting. Yeah, I I read just before we got online here that it might be California and Ohio to start. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it seemed like very disparate places, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure they know better than I. I'm right. sure the algorithm told them to do that. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I think the the interesting thing is that, you know, if you know anything about Ohio, Ohio represents America, right? I mean, there's all sorts of, I think this is a reason why presidential races 
always <laughs> seem to be decided in Ohio or something, just because there's so many different communities upscale and mainstream and, you know, all over the place. Right. You know, I'm, I'm in Michigan and I'm a big Michigan Wolverine. And then we play the Buckeyes and all the sports. And the only one that matters is football, but we did win in basketball. But when you talk about Ohio, I mean, they have so many small towns. I think it's more small towns than any place in, in the country. But then they also, you get Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, you have a lot of big cities there yeah. that are, uh, well, they're gaining, they're gaining ground in a lot of, uh, electoral votes until recently i think but anyway california it's got its own challenges but um anyway so they're they're starting this out and what is this department store it, do you think you see this more as uh, so when you say department stores i read that it's more the size of like a coles so it's not like a traditional and i think we we, we came to the agreement i think uh, when we we're prepping is this is not it's hard to compare this to costco or target or anything else it's going to be amazon and they're going to do it probably a brand new segment that no one yeah, they're going to do it their own way. I mean, it seems like, you know, whereas traditional department stores, you know, 20, 30,000 square feet, I think the, the numbers I've seen have been six, 8,000 square feet. Which is comparable to what? I, I, I think I think the smaller end of the the Kohl's is, is I, I think that's definitely in that in that range. And I think not all of it will be retail footprint. Some of it will be logistics field pr- footprint. And so... For fulfillment? Yeah. And so I think for fulfillment, Having consumers, one of the things that came out of the pandemic is the huge rise in curbside, and I'm sure I'm sure you've seen this right. as well. Buy online, pick up in store has been big for the past ten years, but curbside has been exploding. Right. So you said buy online, pick up in store. So what is that? Is that there was bo- bopis? Bo- bopis, the... yeah, yeah. That's yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So they have all these different acronyms, but you can buy it online, go in the store and pick it up. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And then you can buy it online, pick it up at curbside, right? You can just buy it online, have send it to your house. That's or right. you can get in your car, drive there, walk in and pick it out. Right. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. there's, I'm sure that's the four main ways. I'm sure there's probably a half a dozen other ways you can buy. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. If you look at retailers like Target, something like 90 plus percent of all, if you order from a Target.com, most of that inventory is coming through their store network. It's not coming right. from e-commerce specific central distribution facilities like Amazon has <clears throat> traditionally built. But I think this could put Amazon with inventory closer to consumers and key categories, right. you know, like apparel and technology. Right. So you think they're going to say, we see what Target's doing. Target's having some success with doing some fulfillment out of stores. Now, it, I've heard different people say different things. I got to think there are traditional retail stores that let's just say were bought, built 20 years ago, aren't set up to do a lot of fulfillment. They must be either retrofitting them to say, okay, this is going to be a store, but also a mini fulfillment center or building brand new locations. And I suspect Amazon's going to have something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's right. Um, there, there had been rumors like the most persistent rumor I, I heard in the past couple of years was that Amazon was going to buy Kohl's. I mean, or Amazon was going to buy JC Penney. Oh wow! Those are probably the two <laughs> names I heard the most because they were the they were the retailers. Whatever retailer was struggling this month, Amazon was going to buy. But it, it turns out Amazon fooled everybody that you know they're not ready. Like you buy a big retailer with thousands of stores already when you're when you're ready to scale the concept. You you already know what you're doing, and it kind of feels to me that Amazon is still in the experimentation phase, you know, of this. 
One of the challenges I think you see with a lot of stores, and I can speak to Kmart, which was our traditional store here, you would sometimes leave a Target and then you go into a Kmart and sometimes it felt so dated and that you start to realize how expensive it is to try and update, you know, hundreds of stores across the country. And I think, you know, if Amazon was to say, yeah, we bought Kohl's and you go, cool, well, you're going to have to retrofit every last one to make, uh, <laughs> to make this work. Right. I don't know. Maybe to your point, these are experiments. This is a massive company and these are, these are just little dip, dip my toe in, see, yeah. see how the water is. Exactly. Exactly. So when we were offline prepping for this, you talked about some of the things that you thought was going to be the reasons this would make some sense. And one of the, one of the first things you said was returns. So speak to that one. Yeah, I, I think returns, particularly for retail, if you look at like what are the return statistics on the average uh, average Amazon or average Target or Walmart store, and people aren't shipping those returns back to online, 90, yeah. 90 plus percent of all returns are you're just going to go back to the store wherever you bought it from, right? right. Amazon, you, you don't have that ability. That's why maybe they partnered with Kohl's a couple of years ago to offer that capability. But just think about Amazon ships you know, estimates I've seen over a billion dollars, over a billion parcels a year yep. all over the world in North America. Let's say it's 10% return rate. That's probably on the low side. That's 100 million parcels going back in the other direction. I've heard people say that the returns on e-commerce are 30% or, yeah. or higher. And for traditional retail, I was just at a, a party and I saw a friend who's a retailer and he said, he goes, we're doing a ton of business online. And he goes, I go, do you get a lot more returns? He goes, it's sick. He goes, we get like 6% in our store. And he said, I don't even know what it is in the, in the reach in the e-commerce. He goes, but it's huge. And so well, what's interesting, Rick, I don't know if you're married, you got a girlfriend or daughters or anything, but I, I know this, is how my daughters will shop. They'll order that sweater in three colors and two sizes, try them all on and send two back. And that's a problem. And so that's a problem that brick and mortar can solve. Yeah, definitely. I, I think apparel is, it's a hard category to enter with a new brand. And I think Amazon has been famous for selling unbranded products. You're buying oh, that's essentials. You know, yeah. Like essentials, underwear, socks, you know, t-shirts and, and things, things you don't necessarily care as much. But I think if you want to introduce new apparel brands that consumers will remember, you need to be able to touch and feel them and, and try them on. Right. Or else the people that are going to take the leap you know, on a new apparel brand compared to one that they could just go to Nordstrom's and pick up or, you know, Macy's or wherever, then it's a little bit harder. Right. So we know returns might be part of this strategy. And again, I think Amazon thinks so big, we need to kind of open up our minds. Like what <laughs> right. could, you know, this is going to be like, hey, this is their crypto move. Right? You're going to use right. cryptocurrency at Amazon store. Right. Making, right. Making, being, I'm exaggerating up some, but I think what they've done over and over again is impress us with how big their vision is. But we, we think it might have something to do with returns. We think the new department stores might have something to do with fulfillment. Like, so those stores will be set up as it's close to population centers. We can do just like targets doing a little bit of retail, a little bit of fulfillment. So anything that is, well, I've heard the fast movers will be, re, you know, in retail locations, but I, I don't think you want to necessarily do pick and pack out of your retail location, but I'm sure they will figure that out. And then the other thing you mentioned to me when we're prepping is of course, data. So speak to the data. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Amazon 
you know, is one of the best data companies in the world in, in terms of their understanding of consumers, how to position products, how to get you to buy more. And I think one of Amazon's biggest businesses in terms of growth, it's almost doubling every year now is their advertising business, which a lot of people don't think about yet. They have $20, $30 billion advertising business, depending on whether you're looking backwards or looking forward. Well, how do they make, how does that work for them? I don't even know. Yeah, basically, if you go on Amazon and you, and you search for a, pol- a polo shirt, you'll see sponsored ads and the results. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You can't even get to your results sometimes. You can't get to results. Eight, I always I, I have bet to go at least up 50, and... Over 50% of results on Amazon are bought. I guarantee it. So what I always end up doing is just saying, I want a four star and above. And it really doesn't even want to filter that out. It still wants to leave the sponsored at the top. They, that's they, I always say that if you're a retailer, if you're, I'm sorry, if you're a brand, you say, look, I want to sell my polo shirt on there and I'm selling it for $50. And then right next to it, Amazon's like, you sure you don't want one from Essentials for 18 bucks? <laughs> like, and you're like, oh, you know what? It's a four star too. Why not? Maybe I'll try that out. They, they really do have a way of giving options, which is what they're supposed to do. So when we talk about this data collection, they're going to, they're, they're going to, this is one of the things they're hoping to get. They're going to, they're going to get a lot more data. And you said something when we were prepping that it's a lot harder to get data online now than it used to be. So speak to that. Yeah. I mean, so I would say the analytics profession is going through a lot of transformation now. Google is, is changing and has promised to get rid of cookies although they've delayed that decision a couple of years now. Apple just rolled out some changes earlier this year in iOS 14 that really changed the number of events that that operators can really track about their audiences. It becomes much harder for companies like Facebook, for instance, to know everything that you're doing, even on its own app, because it's part of the Apple ecosystem. It's not really theirs. And so that I, I think that makes it makes it harder. And if you have this business, this growing retail business that has a lot of data needs, and then this growing advertising business, which right. needs to know a lot about consumer behavior in order to serve the right ads, I, I really think that there's a huge opportunity for these department stores with all their cameras and the machine vision and all this walkout <laughs> technology to really know, like, right. I fully expect. We're calling expect, it the Truman Show. We're I fully the Truman expect, show. <laughs> like, I'm going to walk into the Amazon Truman Show and I'm going to be Truman and everything <laughs> I look at is going to get a plus one next to that product. If I look at the product for five seconds, right. it's going to be different than if I look at a product for, for two seconds. Yeah, Rick, they'll they'll have that analyzer. If they, they say, this guy's not in our system, you know, you see those face recognition. They say Rick's not in our. This guy's not in our system, and then they start going, "Okay, well, let's see. He's a, a white male, about this tall, about this. I think he's about this old." And they're gonna they're gonna say, "We we just and and here's the clothes he's wearing. We assume he makes this much, and we assume he lives over here." <laughs> and yeah. I think we're going to be shocked by the data that they try and collect. I mentioned to you when we were prepping that I went to a, like a pharmacy, like a Rite Aid or something like that. And I wanted to buy a Diet Coke, just a single Diet Coke. And it was like 70 cents more than usual. And I was like, like just seemed like really expensive. And then they said, if you want to get in our rewards or whatever, give us your phone number. And so it was 70 cents cheaper if I put in my, my mobile phone number. And I was like, they're trying to collect the data that that all the online stores are collecting. Right. Yeah, definitely. They must feel really far behind if you're a retailer and saying, hey, you know what? We're competing with guys who 
have kind of got a big advantage over us. So we talked about returns, the big advantage to having department stores or some sort of retail location. I I really don't think department stores will ever be the right title. I think these are going to be in Amazon, something really crazy, (laughs) something new, something new that we've never seen. And then we talk about new nodes for fulfillment, inventory close to the market. Everybody wants that data collection. We know that's going to be a big part of it. And I think when we're prepping, you talked about this whole idea of like, who knows what innovation they're going to bring to this. I mean, there are, you know, a preeminent technology company. What technology should we expect to see? Yeah, I definitely think a lot of the things that they've been pioneering at their Amazon Go stores, cashierless technology, oh, all, all their wow. all their all their machine vision applications that I think are interesting. So you could just fill up your basket. Let's just say you're walking out, and as you're walking out, it just says $100, and it hits your card. Right. No, for sure. That's crazy. That's crazy. And I, again, I think that we've seen it from them before. I mean, look at Amazon Logistics. I mean, look at the, what they've done with the fulfillment centers. If you were to say 25 years ago, 20 years ago, that soon Amazon is going to employ tons of people across the country in fulfillment centers, be like, no, don't be silly. <laughs> And yeah. look at them now. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, look, retail is as old as time. And so you still have to go back to the fundamentals. What products are there? How is it merchandised? What is the layout of the store? Why does the consumer want to walk in to this store, which I don't think it's going to be called. To, I, I agree with you. It's not going to be called the Amazon department store. Why would I walk <laughs> into an Amazon department store? I could just go right. on my phone. And so right. it needs to be something else. Yeah, it, it's going to be a brand new market entry. You know, it's funny when you start to try and categorize things, you say, is Target a department store or is it a big box? Or, I mean, no, it's not big box. And then you look at like Costco. I guess we call that big box. I don't know why. Costco to me, or you just call it a warehouse club, right? Mm-hmm. But is it really, I mean, feels a little bit like a warehouse, but not, it's a pretty nice warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there's Sam's and other companies like that, but, um, what is a target? It's not it doesn't feel like, you know, Bloomingdale's or Hudson's or, you know, Macy's. Yeah. I, I think I was doing Or Nordstrom's for that matter. Looking it up, I, I think big box is the closest I uh, I've I've seen into that that description. You know, department stores are a little bit more multi category, although what's the difference if you have apparel and all this other stuff in a tar- target too? It seems right. like a department store it just seems it's a little bit semantics, I think. This is why the lines are blurring so much when, you know, I, I said the other day on a podcast, I said, is this, I, I said something retail or direct to consumer and somebody said, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, isn't that the consumer, you're serving a consumer it's kind of doesn't matter how you're doing it these days. The lines are blurred so much. So right. anyway, we talked a little bit about Amazon's foray so far into retail. And we talked about, again, this new, I'm saying air quotes here, department stores, but I do think it'll be something completely brand new, brand new model. And and the advantages to Amazon we see is like returns, new nodes for fulfillment, data collection. We absolutely know that's going to be a big part of it. And don't be shocked by the technology because we know they're going to bring new technology to these things. And if nothing else, it's going to be the SKUs they know work, which Mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, this, this, we absolutely positively know this works. And and I can imagine the product placement is going to be even better than we see in existing retail as far as optimizing profit. Yeah, I I think all of it depends. And like, so like, if you look at the stores, Amazon has 
introduced recently, it's fresh by Amazon. And so that's the word they chose is fresh. So to me, like the whole key to the idea well to this will be what what is the word that is gonna make oh, people yeah. think about this store? And is it gonna be trends? Is it gonna be fashion? Is it gonna be what is it gonna be? I wouldn't be surprised if it was essentials. Mm. You know, their retail their their brand within uh in and you could see Amazon like Basics. essentials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I think I think you could see it being basics, but I, I could even see them having a, a a grocery store like the small grocery store that Target has. I think I love those little grocery store that Target has. They feel like no, it's great. They feel like they're what do they call that? I, I always forget this word. Is I'll think of it after we hang up. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I but, think the other thing that goes into these stores is is all of Amazon's private label brands. They have over a hundred of their own private label brands, similar to Target and all these other stores, but. If you look at the way most department stores and retailers introduce private label brands, it's alongside leading consumer brands so that the, right. the buyer can instantly see, oh, this is Cheerios and this is Cheery, Cheerese or something. Right. You know, right. And it, it's owned and it's by Walmart. 20% cheaper. <laughs> exactly. And it's 20% cheaper. But Amazon doesn't have that consumer recognition because online you're not, you're not seeing it. And so there have been a lot of reports that Amazon has been much less successful than a traditional retailer to introducing their own brands outside of Amazon Basics, which has been pretty successful. But they've introduced many other brands that consumers like that. Ah. And, and so this would right. give them a, a, a space to introduce new private label brands that could maybe stick more in the customer's mind. I think yep. that's got to be a big part of this strategy or else I, I don't see Amazon making a lot of money from reselling other people's products in at, at a retail store. There's like, there's not enough margin. But that's, but that's, if, you know, another trend that's probably worth noting is went to Costco and I remember going to buy um, a box of wine, uh, red wine, because I like the fancy red wine from the box, right? So <laughs> I think it's like $18 for a box of wine. I think theirs right next to it was 12 bucks. Right. And I remember, I guess Costco makes a lot of their money now from their private label. And so again, there's another People place where- I love Kirkland, man. Right. There's some huge and so, fans. So was, I went to a buddy's house. I brought him a box of red wine during uh, March Madness. And I said, I got the good red wine from you, the Kirkland stuff. And, <laughs> and he said, and he was laughing. He goes, Joe, that's- brought me in the other room he had two boxes of it other people had brought it and he said i love this and he goes my brother brought it. and i was like you know it's it's a it's a funny <laughs> thing because all of a sudden they they just basically you know you imagine somebody who one time sold red wine through costco just lost i don't know 30 40 percent of their market right it's got to be crazy yeah, the lines are blurring and I, I think you're right there's going to be a lot of private label in there that's another point that we should probably have added in here I think. yeah there, this is not going to be so they can help. Well, I'm sure they'll have some others in there, but this is to get their own private stuff sold. Yeah, for sure. Interesting stuff. So, Rick, put a bow on this bad boy. I know we went all over the place, but uh, give us just some of your final thoughts on this. And then before you go, I want to talk about your upcoming speech and uh, or presentation and your podcast and your business. Yeah. You know, I, I think at the end, look, Amazon is not a, a retailer. Amazon is not an e-commerce company. Amazon is a technology innovator, period. And if they are willing to enter any market that they believe that they can serve consumers better than whoever's there now. And so I think when I think about retail, 
they're thinking about how can I create the best experience possible for products and and really take advantage of some upcoming trends that maybe aren't aren't being taken advantage of by some of the incumbent players. And so we should not expect anything mundane or <laughs> even small here. This is a, again, That's I think right. they're you, you said it right. They're a technology innovator who just happens to do logistics, who just happens to do uh, retail. And uh, they're, bringing, they're bringing something that, you know, I know you work with a lot of existing brands. Would you just, you know, if, if you looked at an existing retailer or distributor, you don't ever go to those and say, yeah, they're coming as a technology innovator. No, they're coming right. as probably just the opposite of that. That's, right. not, that's not a criticism, but that's right. just where they're coming from. We yep. all come from somewhere. Exactly, exactly. So, Rick, before you go, tell us a little bit about what's going on with RMW Commerce. And uh, I know you talked a little bit about some presentations you're doing and s- some events that you're not a- attending now. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it's exciting because, I, you know, I work with firms that are really trying to transform. And to me, that's the funnest part is when you work with companies that know they want to do something new know they right. want help and they're willing to partner really because the idea is that you can help show people a roadmap for here's where you want to go and then you can go back to them saying okay what percentage of this do you know how to do now and you can assess them but they can also assess themselves right and so then you can say like okay this part we know how to do thank thanks for validating that but we have this part of the plan right these are the parts abc whether it's supply chain or marketplace or technology we need some external help because we don't have enough native expertise internally right and so those are the projects that are most fun for me from the rmw commerce side um and what i find is people come to me because e-commerce is all i do and if you go to a traditional consulting firm which have amazing capabilities and track records and and history right. what they don't necessarily and for general business strategy but e-commerce is so fast moving and so unique that the the strategy can be a lot more optimized if you're talking to entrepreneurs you know, people that have been on entrepreneurs and operators in the space right. rather than people who are just reading about the space. Right. So, so that's on the RMW commerce side in, in terms of new developments and presentations. I'm, I'm speaking next month at ASCM American society. What's the ASCM ASCM connect with a colleague of mine, Dave Glick, who's a CTO of flex and former longtime Amazon logistics yeah. leader uh, who's been on your show. He was just on there. The reason I found Dave Glick is because I saw him doing a presentation with you, and I was like, "Ooh, I yeah, to talk to it's, Dave Glick." It, 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 it's upcoming. <laughs> he and, was great on my podcast. Yeah, and and it's upcoming. And and wouldn't you know, our topic is literally about the rise of Amazon logistics and how Amazon went from zero to billions of parcels a year, and what's next for them in Amazon right. logistics, and why? What are the things that they get? and do well that the traditional carriers don't, which is a fascinating right. topic. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, we have, we all have UPS. We know that. We know FedEx. We know DHL. And then, you know, USPS, the United States Postal Service, they're a big part of that final mile. And then you go, oh, I guess Amazon is a parcel provider? I guess. <laughs> and then there's all these regionals that I've, I've said recently. I think there's five or six regional parcel providers. I would not be shocked if somebody doesn't stitch those together into a national or at least a super regional player 
And and that's not even counting all of these gig economy things. And I actually got um, Emma Cavsgrove coming on my podcast from Business Insider, and she's fantastic. Oh, at that. I love Emma. She's fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. Well, she's a New Yorker too, isn't she? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that because she said you know, it's like it, it was before like two players or three players, and now all of a sudden it's exploding, and now it's to a point where you go, is this a a a parcel provider? I don't know. They deliver to houses. They, it's they, they delivered a parcel to a house. Does that make them a parcel provider? I think or so. a gig economy? So. Yeah. The, again, these damn lines. People keep getting people color inside the lines. Stay in your lane. Right. <laughs> we can't talk about it if I can't put it in lanes. Anyway, right. So you're speaking at ASCM, and you uh, tell me who who is the sweet spot for you over at RMW Commerce. Yeah, I would say, you know, mid-market brands that are looking to make a change, a lot of times they're pri- they're backed by private equity or privately held. And they're they're looking to make a change to you know, what drives a lot of this is the investors. Investors see that direct to consumer revenue is worth much more in a valuation point of view than a traditional resale wholesale account. And so they're like, how do we change our mix? And so if we are 90% wholesale and 10% digital, what what would it mean for a company if to go to 30% digital? Right. And and what could effect that could that have on our future of our business? Right, right. And, you know, is, does the Amazon fulfillment, does that enter into it? Because I know a lot 100%. of companies kind of, they, they kind of hooked themselves to Amazon. And now as Amazon's become, you know, more effective and more efficient, there's some players who say it doesn't work for us as well as it once did. I think Nike and some others are saying, well, we just can't work with it. And I don't think these are, I don't think there's anything dishonest or awful happening. I just think it's, as Amazon's gotten better at this, they realize who we can partner with and who we can't. Yeah. What I see is, is definitely a bifurcation of brands. I think the top tier brands they want to have the closest relationship to the consumer as, as right. possible. And Apple and Nike and, and other brands like that, Allbirds, or like pick, pick a big brand that, I mean, and Allbirds isn't a big brand, but. They want, but they, but they don't work with Amazon and they want that direct consumer. They want that they direct want... consumer relationship. But then you have everyone else where your brand maybe isn't as well known to the consumer or your white label goods or an essential or a replenishable and right. you know that they're shoppers on Amazon, and Amazon is the biggest e-commerce site in the world. So why wouldn't I want to hitch my wagon to Amazon? And so if you deal anywhere in the Amazon community and you aren't on FBA or something that gets you the prime badge, then you're missing out on something. Right. And you know there are issues to dealing with FBA and chargebacks and space constraints, which is hitting a lot of retailers as well but i think the 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 bar just continues to go up if you want to work with amazon they aren't a storage facility they they are they are data driven and they don't want your so i think if you say i have oh i have 400 SKUs and 25 of them are fast movers that's the ones you can sell through amazon (laughs) the others are gonna have to go to your website Exactly. Because Amazon's so, not going to tolerate your slow movers. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be too expensive and they're going to limit your, your space for those products. So I, I think lots of distributors and private label manufacturers have huge multi-hundred million dollar businesses selling through Amazon and are just happy, just as happy as they can be doing that. Yeah. It, it's 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 crazy. I, one of the things that constantly comes up on my podcast lately is SKUs. 
And we talk about Costco has a lot fewer SKUs. Aldi has a lot fewer SKUs. I think I, I have no doubt that the, the, this new new thing we're talking about with Amazon will be fewer SKUs. And and I think I've had Ali Raza on my podcast on my throughput, and he said you'd be surprised at how much stuff gets onto retail shelves that doesn't make money when you do full accounting on it or throughput accounting mm. on it. And he said, you know, you could see those those getting much smaller and saying, we closed it down a little bit and we're going to have, and and I think we learned this, the retailers learned this during the pandemic is, hey, if you go from 27 peanut butters to just seven, you sell more peanut butter. And um, my sister is brand new back to, to the country. She's lived out of the country for a while. And she said, she goes, it's overwhelming to walk through grocery stores. She goes, it, she goes, I feel like disoriented because there's too many choices. And it, and it does make you wonder, could we see this retail footprint getting smaller because SKUs are smaller? So yeah, we're... It's fascinating. Yep. So one last thing before you go, Rick, tell us about your podcast, Watson, Watson Weekly. Yeah. So super excited to talk about that. That's That's been a production I've been working on the past couple of months and, and just launched it this week. And so this is the first... You know, you're hearing here first. <laughs> and so I, I, I always thought my format is I, I like to help people learn about what's happening in e-commerce and not just tell them what's happening, but tell them why it's happening or what might happen next. And I didn't, as I looked around, most of the podcasts out there I saw were, how do I get rich quick? Right. Or right. It, it's a podcast where you're doing deep, in-depth interviews right. of someone. I didn't, similar to this one. Uh, right. And I didn't see a podcast where you could walk away feeling you have a good overview of the entire space every week. These are the things you need to know, and here's why it's happening. Right. And so that's really the gap that I'm I'm trying to fill. And and I think having something a short format is is, is yeah. something that I'm excited about. Yeah. I, and I got to tell you guys, if you follow Rick, you know this already. He seems to do a lot of research. I mean, and 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 it's one thing when people say oh, I did research, and what they meant was I Googled some things. That's my research typically. I my research will get you directionally correct. <laughs> Rick has real insights into this. He's been an executive in these companies. He's working with top companies. And what was interesting, I listened to your podcast yesterday. It's twelve minutes, which I appreciate, and. It was four stories. And then your show notes, I mean, a lot of us do show notes for podcasts. The show notes were as valuable as the 12 minutes. And mm. I think it was four stories that you covered. And, you know, it's funny. But one of the things I've looked at is you talked about direct-to-consumer for construction goods. And I was like, or e-commerce. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that there's such a thing. And, you know, and it's interesting. Some people might say, why are you talking to an e-commerce guru on your podcast, this is logistics. Logistics and e-commerce are so <laughs> intertwined that it, it is no sense pretending they're not. You know, we talked about those blurred lines. This is the ultimate blurred line. Oh, you can't I agree. be good at e-commerce if you don't do transportation. You listen to the recent FedEx and UPS earnings calls, and the first thing yeah. out of out of their <laughs> mouth is eighty percent of the growth in the parcel market is e- e-commerce, small parcel. Right. So it's it's here. Yeah, we are. Whether you like it or not, guys, we are. We are all becoming e-commerce people. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to become that e-commerce person, start following Rick because again, he's he's got great insights. And what is the name of your podcast again? It's called the Watson Weekly, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts: Apple, Google, Overcast, etc. Yep, it's awesome. Rick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. 
I appreciate it a lot, Joe. Uh, look to be back soon. Yep. And thank all of you. I appreciate your support. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.